Good evening, everyone, or good morning, whenever you may be listening to this broadcast. I'm so glad that you made it back. I wanted to do a simple off the cuff podcast installment off a topic that kind of naturally matured from a conversation that I was having with some fellow oneness believers. It's more in the light of uh, those who have more of a Unitarian viewpoint. And what I want to talk about in this episode is the understanding of what we would say, uh, maybe in a more traditional Christological sense or in a more mainline Christological sense, the hypostatic union. So, hey, let somebody know we're about to get started. Now, if you really want to make a oneness Pentecostal upset, there is a good way to do that. That is to say that we have a position that Jesus Christ is merely this guy in a foolish suit. Now, I know that this is usually the common understanding of what is communicated when we talk about what we understand to be the hypostatic union. But I find there are many, maybe out of ignorance or maybe just out of lack of care, present a view of oneness Christology or oneness incarnational Christology that I would say is not representative of the entire moniker of oneness Pentecostalism. Now, to be fair to some walking away with this understanding, it's totally understandable in the light that there are those who are the oneness persuasion who do present a incarnational Christology that will make you think that Jesus is just the father in a flesh suit, needless to say. Uh, such guys like Geno Jennings and their various versions of oneness. What I would want to distinguish is that what I would consider orthodox oneness Pentecostalism or mainline oneness thought that we wholeheartedly embrace the concept of a hypostatic union. The reason that I know this is the case is because I'm a oneness Pentecostal and that's what I believe. Uh, but I have found with some of my interdoctrinal dialogues that some of the feedback or the accusations that are consistently hurled against us is based upon the idea that we just believe Jesus is just this guy in a flesh suit and by a flesh suit, many are usually making an allusion to the analogy used uh, by someone that's Pentecostals who I would say they have a, it's a heretical approach to oneness uh, that it was just basically God, the father zipping up this flesh suit. And the reason why I would say it's heretical is because that's not a real man. If he does not have a true human soul. Now, from a oneness Pentecostal viewpoint, the mystery of the incarnation is how God incarnated himself into flesh, not that God incarnated himself into flesh. And when we say flesh, we're not talking about just the cells and the tissues and these various things. We're talking about the true humanity that exists, uh, that makes any man a real man. And we do believe that man is a composite being on several levels, that he is not only is he a physical uh, corporeal body, but he has a non-corporeal aspect uh, that we would see as the soul or the mind. 
We believe that the miracle of the incarnation is that the great God of glory has saw fit to enjoin himself permanently to his increase to his creation by subjugating himself in the incarnation. Now, it must be understood that the true human soul is an aspect of the inner heart of the incarnation, that it is not a true oneness model if you do not have a real soul. The reason that I say that is because if Jesus did not have a true human soul, then the accusations of him simply praying to himself, him talking to himself, these accusations are founded upon stable ground. If Jesus did not have a true human soul in his high priestly prayers, he of most certainly was praying to himself. Now, before some of my, my Trinitarian listeners get a little bit too excited, if Jesus didn't have a human soul for your model, that's a problem too, because what you have on that side, now you have God, the son praying to God, the father about a pre-incarnate experience that he is now more glory negative in, uh, which now you run into the issues of immutability and all these other type of things. So you, you, you are in trouble either way you go, whether it's Benetarian, Trinitarian, oneness Jesus has to have a true human soul to be a real man this is a a sore spot for me because it's something that I encounter many times I don't know if it's out of ignorance or just really just trying to get my buttons going but I think it is important to understand that this is not just oneness Pentecostalism copying Trinitarian orthodoxy to make ourselves seem more mainline but this is a biblical approach to understanding who God is. Hebrews 1 and 3, that Jesus is the express image of the invisible God. You find the word there as hypostasis, hypostasis. It, it, this, is, this Jesus is the visible of the invisible God made or seen among us. Now, what we would say from our worldview is that Jesus Christ had a dual existence. In one sense, he was fully God and full existence. In another sense, he was existing as fully man. These dual existences do not contradict the true unity that we see in the man Christ Jesus. Basically, from a oneness standpoint, we understand that the hypostatic union, rather, is Jesus Christ, the one person having in himself the full identity of humanity and the full identity of divinity. And I use the word full out of habit, but I really should say truly in the instance, there is no full or less, either you're God or either you're not. Each nature has its own separate will. This is why as oneness Pentecostals, when it comes to the high priestly prayers, we have a really big problem with saying that God, the son prayed to God, the father. Why do we have a big problem with that? Because now you have God, the son saying, not my will be done, but your will. That's problematic because now you have introduced a non-biblical tension within your model of the persons of the Godhead. I think it should go without saying that in order for Trinitarians to maintain that they are not espousing Trinitarianism, the only consistent and I would dare say the classical understanding of Trinitarianism that within God, there's only one will. If God has three wills and three consciousness, I'm sorry, that's tritheism. There, there's just, 
there is no way around it, un, 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 unfortunately. So within Jesus Christ, we have him praying as a true man, submitting his divine will, thus serving as a good example for how we should submit to the will of God. But at the same time, he is able to respond to the whims and cries of those who need him. From a oneness standpoint, it's very interesting because operationally speaking, we really don't disagree with our Trinitarian counterparts as to the mechanics of how the incarnation or the hypostatic union works. The main point of divergence is not that there is a hypostatic union. The main point of divergence is who was incarnate within the hypostatic union. We emphatically, without hesitation or derivation, believe that it was the father himself incarnate. But it must be understood that just because we believe that it is the father who was incarnate in flesh, that the divinity is not exhausted because of the incarnation. An example of this could be seen in uh, the concept of extra Calvinisticum, which was an approach by many of the early reformers as they interlocked with Lutheran thinkers to explain how they understood the, the, the issue of communion. But as a side note, I believe the, the, the reform really articulated a thought of Christology that was quite profound. And I would agree with them in this area that within the incarnation, God, or in their case, God, the son, but we'll say God was fully expressed qualitatively in who he was and what he was and how he was. But because by nature, one of God's incommunicable attributes is that God's ability to be omnipresent cannot be forsaken. This is why you have to make sure that as you are developing your Christology, that your theology of the nature of God doesn't sacrifice points of essentiality to further your theological position. For God to be incarnate, we do not believe that he divested himself of any form of divinity or divinity that can be seen. That at the same time that he was God fully in Jesus, he was still God being fully everywhere else at the same time. He was still God in heaven while he was God in the flesh. And what you will notice as we begin to see Jesus because the very reason the incarnation took place was that Jesus could reveal who the father is. How would he do that? He reveals how the father is one thing and another thing at the same time. Just like Jesus is the first and the last at the same time. Just like he's the alpha and the omega, the, 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 the beginning and the end. The door to the sheepfold, but the good shepherd at the same time. He's the high priest, but the sacrifice at the same time. Jesus is revealing that within God, everything that we need is seen within his ability. What we can see is that sometimes Jesus operated within the, the acute limitations of humanity, uh, such as in St. John 4 and 6, when Jesus was uh, at Jacob's well. And uh, the Bible says, so Jesus wearied as he was from his journey was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. Uh, and he was tired. Why was he tired? Because he was truly man. In order to have humanity, it has to be tired. We even see this witness in St. John 19, 28, the ESV version again. I didn't mention that the first time. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said, I, to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. Divinity doesn't thirst, but humanity does. 
At other times in the power of his deity and his extreme righteousness, he was able to call Lazarus from the grave, such as he did in St. John eleven forty three. But in other times we see him doing things such as performing miracles, like producing the loaves to feed the crowd in Matthew 14, 18 through 21. What we must understand is that just because we see a duality of expressions from the one person, it does not mean that we therefore must conclude that he is only a man and we must not go to the opposite extreme and conclude that he is only divine, which would be docetism, which we would reject. We understand that within the man Christ Jesus, such as the, the common Christi, which was believed to be an early prayer of the early church in Philippians 2, 5 through 11, that it is in the humility doing the incarnate life that he did not divest himself of divinity. He didn't think it robbery to be equal with God. Many times in our English, since we think of equal, we think of like the mathematical form of equal, where you have equal on this side and then you have that two things. But equal in the Greek sense, isos can also mean to be the same. He knew that he was God, but he did not use his divinity as an occasion to benefit himself. This is why when he thirsted, he needed to get it from someone else. Why? Because it was a part of the divine humiliation of Isaiah 53 being the suffering servant, that he had no comeliness about him, that every miracle that the Lord Jesus did was always for the benefit of others. This is why we don't see him making a show of himself, but we see him not shying away from who he was. Like in St. John, the 14th uh, chapter, uh, when Philip asked him, Lord, show us the father. And the Lord Jesus responded to him, have I not been with you so long and you still do not know who I am? Obviously, at that point, uh, Philip must have been a Unitarian, at least. You know, he, he obviously thought that was a good question to ask. And for very good reason, should I say, I think we we're a little bit hard on Philip, like he was just a, the slow kid in the class. Philip asked a very good question. Why did he ask this? Is because this is why I think at first Philip was a Unitarian because he is looking at the prophecies that says, I will raise up one like unto Moses, like unto you. He's identifying the Messiah as that person. So within his mind, he's thinking that Jesus and God are two totally different persons, right? So when he asked to show us the father, that is not an unreasonable question to ask of someone. Why? Because the first Moses did it. Remember in the Exodus on the Mount, the Lord gave them numerous theophanies. He would come in the cloud. Uh, there was one time where the Lord, they had a dress in white and come before him. And he made it clear that this was the true God. They wanted them to see who he was. They even got one time, they got the elders of Israel and they sat on the top of the mountain and ate with God. They saw him face to face. It wasn't an, a, a sense of agency. It was the true God, the creator of all the earth. And it was just one person, should I mind you? So what Philip was asking for was not out of the question. It made good sense to ask this because it had been done before. And certainly one who is greater than Moses could do that. What did Jesus say? Did he say, come up on the mountain and follow me? No, 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 no. That's not what he said. Jesus said, have I not been with you so long, Philip, and you do not know who I am? Wait a minute. He that has seen me has seen the father. You, Philip, have a privilege 
that no other has had to this extent. Whereas Moses will come up for a time and some of them will see for a time. You, Philip, have seen me face to face consistently, eat with you, sleep with you. How then can you say, show me the father? Buddy, you're looking at him. So when we understand as one as Pentecostals, we're not shaken by the aspects of Jesus reality where he had a true humanity. We're not shaken by the reality that he had a true existence as a man. We affirm it because this is the witness of scripture, but we understand that he wasn't just a man and thank God he was more than a man because in that man existed the fullness of the Godhead bodily and praise the Lord. We are complete in him. I just wanted to do a random conversation on the hypostatic union and its importance I think there needs to be more specific writing done for this subject from a oneness Pentecostal Christology. And we will be exploring these a little bit more things in in common, but Hey, please let somebody know we have an apostolic Pentecostal podcast going in. And you guessed it as always, it's the whole gospel to the whole world by the whole church. The Lord bless you in Jesus' mighty name.